Hey guys, welcome to the One Life Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today and we hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Enjoy the message. As you know, the, the topic this month has been church advancing. Psalm 118 verse 22 says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. I'm told in my message this morning, Jesus the chief cornerstone. See, God is not against human effort. In fact, he's against laziness. But it is futile to try and build his church, advance his church, without including him. Without Jesus as the chief cornerstone, all efforts to be the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, you know, the be that church Jesus expects are futile, they're fruitless, unless we include him. See, we are the builders. We, the believers, are, are the living stones. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and love is the mortar that holds us all together. Our love towards Jesus, his love towards us, and our love towards one another holds everything together. We, as the living stones, see, without love, the church won't stand together. It won't advance. That is, it won't bear fruit. Yes, it might, a church might seem successful, but it is, is it fully pleasing to the groom, Jesus Christ? Ephesians chapter 5, reading from verse 25, says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, and that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. I've often passed over this uh, passage quickly, <laughs> probably because because I didn't like the demands it places on me as a husband. <laughs> but in reality, it is something every believer, whether husband or not, should grasp hold of. See, this is a message that can resonate to every believer of what Jesus requires of his bride. See, the church is the body of Christ. And we're part of the church, we're part of his bride. See, if we want to be part of it, we need to understand what he expects of his bride and then commit to it. See, he expects us to trust him, submit to him, allow him to wash, cleanse us from unrighteousness by the washing of water, by his word. He is that word, we know that. And as a result, he will be able to present to himself a bride that has no spot or wrinkle, a bride that is sanctified, holy and without blemish, Obviously not talking physically here, are we? You don't have to look far along the road, do you? You'll find someone with a spot or a blemish or a wrinkle or something else. He's talking about spiritually. He's talking about a bride that hasn't sold, its, sold herself out to someone else or something else. He's talking about a church that is holy, a church that's going to stand and to, no matter what and stand on his truth one that knows that we have been sanctified, one that knows we have been set apart 
for his good purpose, one that's going to just remain faithful to Jesus until he returns and comes back to pick us up, to take us home with him. In other words, I'm talking about a bride that's unspotted by the world, talking spiritually. Not talking about an arranged marriage where it can be clinical. It can be. It can be loveless. I'm talking about a marriage of love, passion and devotion. That's the kind of marriage that we want with Jesus Christ. See, but relationship is the key. Without relationship, the church won't advance into the fullness of joy that Jesus has set aside for it. He set us aside to be a joyous church, to be glorious. That's what he set us aside for. See, the role, the journey of the church is not meant to be a chore. It's not meant to be full of hard work and a lifeless destiny. Rather, the church is called to be a vessel of honour and righteousness. That's what he's called us to be. Full of the joy of the Lord, waiting with an expectancy you know, of the, of his, of the future, expecting him to return and that we will be with him. I remember a young fellow in Golgong and he had this girlfriend out in Gulma. And he'd pull up, in the, as he's going up the driveway, it was a long driveway, and by the time he pulled up, there was this young blonde-headed girl that used to run out to meet him, run out to greet him. <laughs> She's called Elizabeth. <laughs> For those who, who don't know, that is my wife now. But what I'm trying to say is there was an expectancy, wanting to be with the other person. Do we want to be with Jesus? Do we want to be part? Are, are we, you know, to me, I believe we're in like a, a betrothal at the moment. We're not in the marriage part of the moment. We're in a betrothal part where we have dedicated ourselves to be set apart for him and no one else and nothing else can take his place. No one else will draw us away because they're going to be loyal and are going to be faithful and to Jesus Christ. And the things of this world... You know, what does the song go? They grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Things of this world, we're just not looking for a better offer, not looking for something else. We just say, well, I've found Jesus. There is no better offer. There is nothing else satisfying. There is nothing else that's going to be better than being connected with Jesus Christ and joined to him. And that's the attitude that we have when we've betrothed to someone, when we're engaged to someone. We stop looking elsewhere. Normally, I don't know where it happens nowadays, I suppose it does. The ring goes on the finger, an engagement ring, and that's hands off, stay away. You know, something like that it means, doesn't it? We used to. I'm going back a few years now. But the thing is, that's the same attitude we need in Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm betrothed to Jesus. I'm set apart for his service. I'm set apart for him. I'm going to be part of his bride. I'm part of his church, his place. And that's what we have in our heart. See, what I'm really saying though, don't wait until he's returned to meet him and to be with him. Do it now. Be with him now. Be in a relationship with him now. Don't wait till he comes back. See, Jesus expects the bride that has kept themselves especially for the wedding day. A bride that is glowing in expectation of the promise of her groom. Jesus expects a bride that has been committed to remaining faithful are being restored to their original position or state of creation. True holiness, true righteousness. That's the bride. That's the expectation Jesus has on us. And uh, see, we have to be the bride that is glowing so Jesus can be the groom that is beaming. I had a picture of that. 
<laughs> but it, technology didn't work for me. <laughs> it was a picture of Lisbon oh, on our wedding day. The bride was glowing and the, and the groom was beaming. <laughs> but see, that's what Jesus is coming back for. A bride that is glowing and he's going to be the groom that is beaming. Beaming because he wants to be with that bride. He wants to be with that one that has set themselves aside, set themselves apart and haven't bowed down to other idols, haven't let their heart go astray, haven't committed you know, uh, spiritual adultery or whatever those kinds of things, whatever we want to put there. That's the bride he's coming back for. You know, one that is glowing in their love for the groom. How can the church ever hope to be, part of a, uh, to be a pleasing part of the bride of Christ if we don't know the groom and or his expectations? We need, to know, we need to know who Jesus is. We need to know what he expects of us. Otherwise, we won't keep ourselves for him. We'll be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, everything that itches our ears or tickles our ears. We'll be wafting around. We need to know who he is and we need to know his expectations of us. See, obviously, Jesus has many expectations and not one of them is unrealistic, but many, if not all of them, are challenging. Wouldn't you, if you're engaged to someone, you have expectations, don't you? How that person would behave. Even when you're married, you have expectations. We all have expectations. I had an expectation that when I came to church today, I would be meeting with Jesus, that God would be in the house. We need an expectancy. It's not unrealistic to come to the church, to come into the house of God and meet with Jesus. That's what we, to me, that's just a given. And uh, so Jesus has an expectancy on his, on his bride, on his body, on his church, whatever word we'd like to use. And one of them is to love one another as I have loved you. John 15, which is fairly challenging scripture, John 15, I believe. See, my Bible has broken down this chapter into sections. The first 11 verses, uh, it has, it's the relationship of believers to Christ. So the, in the first 11 verses, just describes the relationship of believers to Christ. I won't read all those scriptures, but I'll read verse 5 and 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 1 says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. So... Jesus is the true vine, the Father's the vine dresser, we're the branches. And then the next six verses talks about the relationship of believers to each other. Verses 12, 13 and 17 I'll read. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Verse 17, these things I command you that you love one another. Pretty easy, isn't it? To love one another at all times. No offences, no controversy, no discouragements, no disappointments, all those things. But he says, love one another as I have loved you. He's always merciful, isn't he? Even when they went to stone someone, went to do something to someone, Jesus' grace, his love, his mercy was always there. You know? And he expects us to have the same, you know? the same towards one another part of the church next eight verses it's about the relationship of believers to the world i'll read there from verse 18 if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love its own 
Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. This is significant to me, to the church advancing. Look, I just want to look at a couple of verses. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Seems to me the voice of the world spirit is getting louder than the spoken word of truth from the church. Why is that? We could have many answers, of course. Could be a result of lack of faith and courage, that is, not wanting to offend, rock the boat, or lack of understanding that the moment you make a stand for Jesus and his righteousness, you make an enemy of the world. Do we understand that? We need to realize that the moment you declare the word of truth, you offend somebody. The moment we declare, we make a stand for Jesus Christ. You have a look at the friends that you had before you were saved to the friends you have now. They're different. Why did you reject them? I didn't reject my friends, but I got rejected by others because you start speaking the word of truth. They don't want to hear, just like they block their ears at certain times. Now, do I still associate with a lot of those people? I can still ring them. I can still talk to them. I can do that. But we share a different life. We share the common things that we had are no longer common. The things worshipping the living God is foreign to them. Going out and uh, you know, doing the things that we used to do before is foreign to me now. There's a difference. You know, we need to be sure that we keep setting ourselves aside for, the, for Jesus Christ. Does that mean we don't go into the world? Does that mean we don't associate with the world? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is good, good, uh, bad company corrupts good habits. Wherever we go to a place, you know, we need to go in a position of strength. See, we are the salt that flavours the world. The world can't flavour us. If the world's flavouring us, we need to get out of that place, get out of that spot, get strengthened by the Spirit of God, and then go back and share the Word of God. Then go back and do that. Are we going to give up on the lost and the brokenhearted? No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is when we do so, we do it out of a position of strength, that we are the ones that do the flavouring. We are the ones that bring the light. We are the ones that do what Jesus called us to do. It's up to us to do that. You have to be prepared for backlash if you want to be part of Christ's bride, part of his church. We've got to be prepared for it. There's going to be backlash. If we're going to stand for righteousness, we're going to expose, oppose the world's view, the world's spirit. There's going to be backlash. We've got to be ready for it. And that takes strength, the strength of the living God, that we stand on the word. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know it hated me before, it hated you. John the Baptist, he spoke the word of truth. Literally lost his head, didn't he? Stephen, he spoke the word of truth. He was stoned. 
stoned to death. Jesus, how many times they threatened to throw him off the brow of a hill? How many times were they offended by him? How many times did they seek to kill him? Numerous times, but his time wasn't yet. Eventually they got him. Eventually he gave himself to them. Eventually he died in our place. Eventually he took our sin. He did that because he wanted to do that. Did he do that because they overpowered him? No, he gave himself to do that. If he can do that for us, we can do that for him. He's done far more in this relationship we have with him than we've ever done, than we'll ever do. He gave, he's given so much more. But is he looking for equal giving? No, he's just looking for loyalty. He's looking for faithfulness, holiness. He's looking for us to have a joy that he is stronger and that he can do that thing. We can come under his protection. Okay? Praise God. Praise Jesus. We can come under his protection. He will guard us if we place ourselves in a position. Jesus encountered hostility, even to the point of death. What did he do? He did it anyway. He did it anyway. We could, we could face hostility to the point of death. Not to my knowledge has it happened in this country. Maybe one day it will. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. I'm not up with that. But the thing is, it could happen. Are we prepared to be that strong in our faith? That would be the challenge. Or could it be that we don't realise that the church we associate with is not the church Jesus is coming back for? He's not coming back for One Life Church. He's not coming back for INC. He's not coming back for just one church, the one we associate ourselves. As they, they're going to be people in this church. Let's hope the whole church, let's believe the whole church goes to be with him. But he's coming back for his church. He's coming back for the church of Christ, his own church. They don't meet anywhere. The church of Christ doesn't meet anywhere yet. Not at all one place anyway. Why? Because we don't know who's in it yet. And Jesus hasn't come back yet. Do we know who's in the church of Christ yet? I don't know. God knows. The thing is, it doesn't meet in the one place, the church of Christ. The body of Christ meets in many places. He's coming back for the body. He's coming back for the bride. And uh, he's not coming back just for one church. There are many churches that uh, believe, you know, that they're the only ones. Many churches, many religions, you know, claiming exclusiveness, that they are the only ones. But I believe it's like the parable of the wheat and the tares. You know, the, the church of Christ, it's like that parable. And as the parable goes, let them all grow together and when the day of harvest comes, there will be separation. See, it doesn't go well for the tares. I want to be part of the wheat. Like we can look around a church, any church, you can pick on your own church, you can pick on other parts of the body of Christ and you can say, oh, they're not doing that right. They're not doing something else right. They've got something else wrong. And we can start picking and carrying on and nitpicking part of our own body. We're not the judge. We're not the harvester. We're not the one. God is coming back. He's going to instruct the harvester, which is Jesus, to separate the wheat and the tares I want to be part of the wheat. I want to be gathered into the storehouse. I want to be, have the joy of the Lord and be part of his bride and come with that expectancy. See, what happens sometimes, many churches, many people will get caught in a competition. We're not in a competition to see who can be the best, but we are called to do our best with the gift that we have been given. Not everyone's been given the same gift. We have different gifts. We have different callings. 
It's not about being the best church. It's not about being the best preacher, the best singer, the best whatever. It's talking about the Bible says we need to be our best and do our best. See, like I said, the parable says, let them all grow up together and when the day of harvest comes, there will be separation. Put verses 22 and 24 together. It says, if, if he had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now... They have no excuse for this in verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. So put them two together. You have the church's mandate, don't you? Speak the word, do the word, demonstrate the word, the word of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Do the word, be the word, speak the word. But Jesus has called us to be his bride, his glorious bride. Praise God.